Are you ready to jive? We are ready to jive with you here on MLB Morning Coffee. This is the first edition of Java Jive. Appreciate everybody listening in. We're recording here on a Monday morning from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Greg Moraz, your host, as always. Remember, subscribe to the show if you have not done so already. Leave a rating, write a review, and just tell your friends about the show because we're trying to pump out good content. I came up with this idea a couple of days ago for Java Jive, and basically what it is 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 that we're looking back into weird statistical scenarios of the past. Some things that you'd say, wow, I can't believe that actually happened, or did that actually happen more than once? So the length of these episodes is going to vary based on whatever the subject matter is, but I figure it would be a good way to dive into some fun past statistical analysis. Java Jives could be specific situations. They could be a matchup of two teams that might have faced each other in the World Series, but teams from different eras that might have geographical relations. Hint, hint, we're going to do a Chicago one coming up a little bit later this week. And just weird, fun things that we can talk about on a baseball level. So the first of our Java Jives is a subject that I have been fascinated by for many years. Now, a complete game is when a starter goes all nine innings, or if it's a rain-shortened game, whatever the amount of innings in that game might be. Now, there have been some scenarios over the years, and fewer recently than there were in past years where a starter has pitched into the 10th inning, meaning that they did not have a complete game, but they did pitch at least nine innings. This is a very rare scenario because in the modern day, you see guys on pitch counts, you see guys basically halted at 100 pitches sometimes, sometimes even fewer, depending on the organization. Back in 2017, Rich Hill of the LA Dodgers had a no-hitter going after nine innings, but the game was scoreless, and he ended up taking the loss. He didn't record an out in the 10th inning. The Pittsburgh Pirates won that game. So that scenario got me to thinking, how many pitchers have ever recorded outs in the 10th inning that started the game? There are some that have started the 10th inning but have not actually gotten an out. So here are, since 1995, everyone that has pitched into the 10th inning and recorded at least one out. The first of our 1995 and later scenarios comes on June 4th, 1995, Red Sox pitcher Tim Wakefield goes 10 innings, earns the win. He allows one unearned run, six hits, five strikeouts, and two walks. He allowed just one run in his first two starts in a Boston uniform leading up to that Sunday afternoon at Fenway Park. Now, the fact that he's a knuckleballer makes this understandable because knuckleballers have pretty much rubber arms. Seattle did not have Ken Griffey Jr. in the lineup that day, and the starter for Seattle was Tim Belcher. Both Belcher and Wakefield ended up scoreless after nine innings. Wakefield gave up an unearned run in the top of the 10th inning, but Troy O'Leary ended up hitting a walk-off two-run homer off of closer Bobby Ayala. It lowered Wakefield's ERA to .37 in his first three starts, and the Red Sox matched their best start at that time since the 1971 season with a 23-11 record. One of the things to me about Tim Wakefield that's fascinating is that he is 100% the guy that would end up doing this, although he never did it again. Being a knuckleballer, these types of things might be asked of you. 
and Tim Wakefield ended up having a phenomenal 1995 season, probably his best ever in the bigs. He made 27 starts, went 16-8 with a 2.95 ERA. Over 195 innings of work, he walked 68 and struck out 119. He finished third in the Cy Young Award voting, the only time he ever balloted in the Cy Young. He ended up becoming a reliever in 1999 and pitched for the Red Sox until 2011, spending 19 years in the big leagues, 17 of them with the Boston Red Sox. But on one Sunday day in June, Tim Wakefield was a 10-inning superstar. The second of our scenarios comes just 12 days later. Mets pitcher Bobby Jones went 10 innings in a 16-inning game against the Houston Astros. He outlasted his opposing starter Greg Swindell by three innings as Swindell exited after the seventh. Jones went 10 innings, gave up two runs and eight hits, didn't walk anybody, and struck out five. But because the game was tied at the time, they ended up going past that, and Jones got a no decision. He was off to a ho-hum start, allowing runs in each of the first two innings, but then didn't allow a run after that. He scattered just three hits over the next eight innings, and the Mets came back to tie the game twice in extra innings after Jones exited the ball game. Jones was quoted as saying, it was one of those funny games, they'd take the lead and we'd come back. It was weird. Well, it was a good season for Jones for the most part. He won 10 games. He had an ERA of 419 over 195 innings of work. This was a year after he finished 8th in the Rookie of the Year voting. His best year in New York came two seasons later when he was an All-Star for the only time in his career, going 15-9 with a 3.63 earned run average. But one of the things that was hilarious about this game is that something weird happened a little bit later that night, and it involves the exact same scenario. In his only season with the Oakland Athletics, Todd Stottlemyre put together a good campaign. In 95, he won 14 games, lost 7, had a 4.55 ERA over 209 innings of work. It was the second most wins that he had in any individual season, just one behind his 1991 season with the Toronto Blue Jays. But on that June 16th night against the Kansas City Royals, Stottlemyre had a 10-inning gem, albeit a no decision. He struck out 15 Royals that night, allowing just one run on five hits and walked just one. It was a 1-1 tie after 10, and Stottlemyre was done. The Royals ended up winning the game in the 13th inning when two runs came home on a throwing error by then-ace first baseman Mark McGuire. The only run that Stottlemyre allowed in the game came on a solo blast from Tom Goodwin in the top of the ninth inning. He shrugged off the homer. He fanned Wally Joyner to end the inning, picked up two more strikeouts in the 10th before Rick Honeycutt came in and relieved him in the 11th. Manager Tony LaRusa said, quote, that was one of the best pitched games I've ever seen a pitcher on our side. He made so many outstanding pitches, dozens and dozens of them. So here's the thing about Stottlemyre is that he actually was in line for the win going into the ninth inning, and it was only because of the home run that he allowed to Goodwin that he actually pitched into the tenth inning. Most managers nowadays wouldn't let their pitcher go into the tenth inning, especially if they gave up the tying run in the ninth inning. In any event, what he did was tremendous that night, striking out 15 in 10 innings of work. Heck, anytime you strike out 15, you consider it an elite performance. 
Now, to this point, we've had three times before the All-Star game in 1995 when a pitcher has gone 10 innings. Well, 95 would wrap up with one more performance from a starter going at least 10 innings. Alex Fernandez was a staple of the Chicago White Sox rotation in the early 90s. Fernandez's best season on the South Side came in 1993 when he went 18-9 with a 3.13 ERA, had 247 innings of work, and ended up finishing 21st in the MVP voting. He had a solid season in 1996 as well, as he ended up finishing 6th in the Cy Young voting, going 16-10 with a 3.45 ERA over 258 innings of work, before moving on to the Florida Marlins in 1997, where he won his only World Series title and went 17-2 over 32 starts. But in 1995, he had another 10-inning gem. On October 1st of 95 against the Minnesota Twins, Fernandez pitched 10 innings in a win, allowing one run on five hits. He walked three and struck out six. He went eight scoreless innings before allowing a sack fly in the top of the ninth inning. This was, by the way, the last game of the season. And then in the bottom of the ninth inning, Frank Thomas hit a game-tying homer. Fernandez went back out for the top of the 10th inning, held the Twins scoreless, and Robin Ventura walked it off in the bottom of the 10th inning with a single. The sack fly was an unearned run, so he had a streak of 25 and two-thirds scoreless innings to finish the 1995 season, scoreless by the definition of earned runs. Fernandez had six seasons in which he topped at least 170 innings while pitching for the White Sox, but in a game that didn't matter and in a situation that didn't call for it, Alex Fernandez went to the limit to make sure that his team finished off the 95 season with a W. The performance from Fernandez left 1995 with four different performances of starters going at least 10 innings in a ball game. We would not have another 10-inning performance until 1997. A common theme of these 10-inning performances is either somebody starting off hot and struggling in the ninth or the 10th innings, or struggling early on and then locking in for the rest of the game. Brad Radke in 1997 was one of those guys. Radke's performance came on September 21st, 1997, in what was Brad Radke's best season in the bigs. He had a career-high 20 wins in 1997, posting a 3.87 ERA over 239 innings of work. He finished third in the Cy Young voting that season, the only time he polled in Cy Young award voting. He also led all of Major League Baseball with 35 starts that season and had four complete games. One of them, which was this performance against the Brewers on September 21st. Radke gave up a solo homer to Jeff Cirillo in the second at bat of the game. He retired the next eight men in order, though, after that. The Twins tied the game at one in the sixth inning, and Radke kept mowing them down until former Brewers star Paul Molitor hit a walk-off triple in the tenth inning. Molitor was quoted as saying, I just beelined right toward Brad in the dugout, and he was overcome by emotion. Brad was his typical humble self, not trying to bring attention to himself, but to see the emotion that he displayed when that happened was great to be a part of. Radke's final line was 10 innings, one run on six hits, nine strikeouts, and no walks. Radke's performance capped off what was one of his best seasons ever, in a career that lasted until 2006 as Radke pitched all of his 12 seasons in the bigs with the Minnesota Twins. 
We now move ahead to 1998, where Daryl Kyle is the next on the list to have a 10-inning performance. This was an abnormal season for Kyle. He came off a 1997 campaign with the Houston Astros, in which he went 19-7 with a 2.57 ERA that earned him fifth place in the NL Cy Young voting. It earned him a three-year contract with the Colorado Rockies, and Kyle, by all standards, had a horrible year. His ERA went from 2.57 in 1997 to 5.20 in 1998. He led all of baseball with 17 losses, and he allowed 257 hits over 230 innings. But Kyle, on this run-of-the-mill September day against a team in the San Diego Padres that would eventually go on to reach the World Series, was back to his dominating self of the prior year. Kyle went 10 innings, did not allow a run, struck out seven, allowed just three hits, and walked two. Kyle went toe-to-toe with Kevin Brown of the Padres, who was a Cy Young candidate in his own right. The most impressive thing about Kyle is that he needed just 103 pitches to complete the 10th inning. Kyle is the only pitcher in Rockies history to go more than nine innings in a single game. And that stat makes sense because the Rockies as a franchise were founded in 1993. We now move ahead to August 28, 1999. If I was to tell you that somebody from the Atlanta Braves rotation of 1999 was to have a 10-inning performance, your guess probably wouldn't have been Kevin Millwood. But indeed, it was Millwood, somebody whose name recognition dwarfed in comparison to Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, and John Smoltz in Atlanta, that ended up putting together the 10-inning gem. Millwood pitched in the big leagues from 1997 until 2012, and his best season came with the Braves in 99. He finished third in the Cy Young voting, posting an 18-7 record with a 2.68 ERA over 228 innings. It was the most innings he ever pitched in a single season and tied him for the most wins in a single year, also with the Braves in 2002 when he went 18-8. But as a third-year player, this 10-inning performance was unlike any other. He got in a groove against the Cardinals that day, as St. Louis managed just two hits against him in 10 innings. Millwood and Cardinals starter Darren Oliver both had shutouts going through nine innings. The Braves ended up scoring three runs in the top of the 10th inning, and Millwood shut the Cardinals down in the bottom of the 10th for a 3-0 victory. Millwood's final line, 10 innings, two hits, no runs, one walk, and nine strikeouts. Millwood was quoted as saying, I only threw five pitches in the first inning, but I wasn't happy with the location of any of them. Millwood was great again in the postseason as he had a one-hit, one-run complete game over the Astros in Game 2 of the 1999 NLDS. And then on one day of rest, he got the save in Game 3 to push the Braves into the NLCS. Kevin Millwood is not going to be known as somebody that had a dominating career, but during his time in the Braves organization, he had some extremely dominating years and no performance as dominant as his 10-inning gem against the Cardinals in 1999. Of all of the pitchers that have recorded at least one out in the 10th inning of a start, only one player on this list has done it twice. That would be Roy Halladay. The first time he did it was in 2003 against the Tigers on September 6th. Halliday went 10 innings, allowed just three hits, walked one, and struck out five. 
Halliday and Tigers starter Nate Cornejo both were scoreless through nine complete. Halliday in this game was extremely dominant. He held the Tigers hitless through seven and two-thirds innings, five years after he had a no-hitter broken up against Detroit with two outs in the ninth. Halliday needed just 99 pitches to complete 10 innings, the fewest ever thrown in any 10-plus inning shutout, dating back to the start of complete pitch counts in 1988. It was the Majors' first extra inning shutout since Jack Morris's famous Game 7 shutout in the 1991 World Series. Halliday was quoted as saying, I really didn't want to come out. I felt like I had at least two more innings. He didn't need two more innings because Bobby Kilty hit a walk-off single against Fernando Rodney to win it in the bottom of the 10th inning. His catcher, Kevin Cash, put it even better. He said, quote, Doc could have pitched until tomorrow. 2003 was one of Halliday's best seasons. He won his first Cy Young that year, leading the bigs with 22 wins and posting a 3.25 ERA. He made 36 starts and had nine complete games, with this being one of his two shutouts. He also led all of Major League Baseball with 266 innings of work, leading the American League in innings in back-to-back seasons. He also did it in 2002. As we mentioned off the top, Roy Halladay did this twice, but we'll save the details of that until we get to his second 10-inning performance. Now, on to Mark Mulder in 2005. Mark Mulder was mainly known for his role as part of the Big Three in the early 2000s Oakland Athletics, but Mulder, along with Tim Hudson, were both traded away from Oakland after the 2004 season. Mulder struggled with injuries throughout his four years with the Cardinals, but his best season and his only healthy season came in his first year in 2005. Mulder went 16-8 with a 3.64 ERA over 32 starts spanning 205 innings of work and Mulder had his 10-inning performance against the Astros on April 23rd of 2005. His opponent that day was Roger Clemens. What also makes this significant is that the Astros and the Cardinals played each other in the NLCS back-to-back years in 2004 and 2005. The Cardinals made the World Series in 04 and lost to the Red Sox, while the Astros made the World Series in 2005 and lost to the White Sox. Mulder, though, on this day was a lot better than Clemens was. Again, it was April 23rd of 2005, and it was only 43 degrees in St. Louis. Mulder allowed just five hits over 10 innings. He didn't walk anybody and struck out five. Clemens only went seven innings in that game, and the Cardinals got the win with a walk-off single in the bottom of the 10th inning against Astros closer Brad Lidge. Mark Mulder's one healthy season in a Cardinals uniform was highlighted by this performance, but anybody that knew Mulder or saw him pitch knew that he was capable of this whenever he stepped on the mound in an Oakland Athletics uniform. The next time this happened was on August 23rd of 2005 when Bartolo Colon did it against the Oakland Athletics in a game in Anaheim. The Angels actually lost this game, and they lost it in the 11th inning. But Cologne did not complete the 10th inning. He recorded one out in the 10th inning and then was pulled. The A's won the game in the 11th inning as a Bobby Kilty solo homer put the A's up and Houston Street got the save in the bottom of the 11th inning. Cologne allowed just one run on six hits in nine and a third innings. He only struck out three and walked one. He needed just 105 pitches to get 28 outs and he also induced four double plays. 
The 05 season was Cologne's lone Cy Young award-winning year. He went 21-8 with a 3-4-8 ERA over 222 innings of work. Considering he is not yet retired technically from the game of baseball, Bartolo Cologne is the only active player on this list that has completed this feat. As we mentioned earlier, Roy Halladay is the only player on this list to have done it twice, and he did it again against the same team he did it to in 2003, the Detroit Tigers, on April 13th of 2007. Halladay was at premium efficiency that night at Rogers Center as he only allowed one run on six hits, didn't walk anybody, and struck out two. The two strikeouts are the fewest of anybody that made it on this list in any of their starts. The thing that was amazing about this start was a couple of things. His opposing starter, Jeremy Bonderman, allowed just one run in nine innings of work before he exited the game for the 10th inning. The Blue Jays won on a walk-off from Alex Rios in the bottom of the 10th inning against Fernando Rodney the same relief pitcher that gave up Bobby Kilty's walk-off in Halliday's 10-inning performance in 2003. So what are the odds that one guy would have 10-inning complete games twice against the same team and they would win on walk-offs against the same pitcher, granted a reliever, four years apart? Which, when you think about it, relievers don't usually stay with the same team for that long. Here's the other fascinating thing. Roy Halladay at the time had an 11-2 career record against the Tigers with a 1-8-3 ERA. Quite simply, Roy Halladay was as good as it got any time you asked him to go into the ninth or beyond. This happened one more time in 2007, but to somebody you probably don't remember. Journeyman starter Aaron Harang had just returned from his grandfather's funeral and then came back against the Brewers on July 23rd to go 10 innings of one-run baseball, allowing seven hits, not issuing a walk, and striking out 10. He was the first Reds pitcher to throw 10 or more innings in a game since Rick Mahler in 1989. The only run that Harang allowed came to Ryan Braun, who as a rookie hit his 16th homer of the year. The Reds won the game in the bottom of the 12th inning on a Javier Valentin walk-off single. Harang was quoted after the game as saying, I know he's out there with me. He was a baseball fan. He wouldn't have wanted me to miss his start. And that's what I think is one of the coolest parts of this story, is that he comes back from tragedy to be able to go out and throw 10 innings. Harang had a really good season that year, going 16-6 with a 3.73 ERA over 231 innings of work. From 2005 to 2007, Harang pitched at least 200 innings and had an ERA below 3.8 in each of those seasons. Harang's career began with the Oakland A's in 2002 and ended with the Philadelphia Phillies in 2015, but his best years came in the mid-2000s with those Cincinnati Reds. In the early 2010s, there wasn't a starting pitcher that was as dominant as Cliff Lee, and Cliff Lee is the last person to have done this. He did it against the eventual World Series champion San Francisco Giants on April 18th of 2012. The sad part about it is, is that he didn't get the win, and the team got the loss. The Giants ended up beating the Phillies in 11 innings, one to nothing. Lee exited after 10 innings, 
he allowed just seven hits, didn't walk anybody, and struck out seven. His opposing starter that day was Matt Kane, who allowed two hits over nine innings before exiting prior to the 10th. Kane would go on later that year to throw a perfect game against the Houston Astros, a game, by the way, which I was at. The game was pitched so well that it lasted just two hours and 27 minutes, making it the fastest 11-inning game in 26 years in Major League Baseball. He became the first pitcher to throw 10 scoreless innings in a game where a team lost since Brett Saberhagen did it for the Mets in 1994. Rich Hill's appearance in the 10th inning in that 2017 game against the Pirates is the last time any starting pitcher appeared in the 10th inning, but Hill does not make this list because he did not record an out in the 10th inning. And mind you, he had a no-hitter after nine innings in that game. This just goes to show how hard it is to be able to pitch into the 10th inning and how the game of baseball has changed so much to where managers don't let their guys go past 80 pitches sometimes. But as you've seen throughout the course of this list, a lot of guys, the Cliff Lees, the Roy Hallidays, the Brad Radkeys of the world, are horses, and horses that we probably aren't going to see again in the modern game of baseball. We hope that you have enjoyed the first edition of Java Jives starters since 1995 that have pitched into the 10th inning and recorded an out. We'll be back with another Java Jive tomorrow. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you do, make sure you rate it, review it, and subscribe to it. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. And as always, we will catch you in the AM.